0: spiritual philosophy is that the more love you put out into the world the more good effect you have on other people in the world that's the real wealth welcome to the entrepreneur's journey podcast where we delve into the stories of successful entrepreneurs so you can discover what's possible today's guest is jana doll
1: Recently, I published a blog post and a podcast explaining how I haven't handled my own email in over 12 years. Now, after I released that content, I've had people come up to me going, what do you mean? How have you not handled your email? What what do you, what is that? How do you do that? Now, I've been a person who very early on realized that email is a huge time suck. Like you probably are now, I used to deal with all my email myself. I think most people on the planet still do that. Their email inbox is something they see as their own. They have to deal with it. I learned that that inbox, my email inbox, is the biggest productivity killer time suck, not to mention it goes completely against my goal for the laptop lifestyle. If I want the freedom to travel, to run my business anywhere, I can't be checking my email four or five, six times a day worrying about you know customer complaints or new jobs coming in. And that's what I used to do until about 12 years ago, I hired my first ever inbox manager. And that was a person who became absolutely vital to not just my business, but my life. It significantly reduced my stress because i think like most people you're, you're probably getting up early in the morning and handling your email then and possibly you know spending one or two or even three hours the entire morning can be wiped out just replying to messages doesn't move your life forward it doesn't move your business forward it's kind of like busy work or maybe you're coming home at night to the big pile of emails and you've got you know potential customer queries you've got clients who are asking for things these are important messages And you end up losing your entire evening when you'd rather be relaxing, spending time with friends or family or even watching Netflix, you know, whatever it is you want to do. But you've got this big pile of email that you know is not going to get smaller unless you go and deal with it. You know, the next day there'll be more emails coming in and the next day there's more emails coming in. So for me, I made sure that once I got rid of it, I never had to deal with it again. So I've had either one or two or even three people handling my inbox specialists for over 12 years now. And I'm very excited to announce as a special new sponsor of this podcast, I'd like to introduce you to InboxDone.com, which is a brand new service essentially offering what I'm talking about here, a dedicated email inbox manager that can become part of your team and really take over what is very likely the single biggest stress point, time suck, productivity killer in your business and your life, no matter what you're doing this person can do as much or as little as you like they can potentially just come in and come up with some systems some automatic replies some templates and they can just be there clearing your inbox sorting things for you so you don't have to deal with it yourself and you know you don't have that scattered feeling when you look at your email or email can be taken off your plate completely so your dedicated inbox manager will deal with every message that comes into your inbox and also set up some really intelligent systems for doing things that maybe you don't do right now or maybe you, you kind of do. For example, do you have some kind of process for following up with potential customers? So people who show interest at in buying your products or services, maybe just email in a question. Do you have a intelligently designed process for chasing them up over a period of weeks with several emails? And you know, are you doing that yourself right now? Well, imagine you've got someone who handles that it's scheduled. It's, it's part of their job to make sure that goes out in a strategic way. The same goes for dealing with potential cancellations or refunds. So if you have a membership site now or payment plans, this person can come up with a, a system for strategically handling those kind of queries to, to reduce your cancellation and refund rate. These are just a couple of ways you can actually increase your profits or reduce your losses with a really tailored, dedicated Inbox Manager. And this is actually, in fact, what we have in my business uh, right now, my information product business with uh, my blog and my podcast and all my teaching products. So if all of this sounds interesting to you, if you'd like to learn more about the service, go to inboxdone.com. And you can find an application form there to apply to get your own dedicated inbox manager as well. Just a word of warning though, because of the personalized nature of this service, they can only take on a few clients each month because you do get your own dedicated inbox manager. So that person is specially trained and that takes time. So they have a limit to the number of people they can take on board each month. And really, it goes to the best applicant. So do a great job applying. And obviously, if you're a great fit for the service, you will get your own dedicated inbox manager and email could be taken completely out of your life and you'll be able to experience what I've experienced for a long time now, that sense of freedom, relaxation, the, the idea that you, you, know, you don't have to stress about this anymore. You don't have to worry about those emails sitting in your inbox. Not only that, you don't have to worry about whether you're doing a good enough job replying to those emails because you could be losing sales right now just because you're not chasing up in an intelligent way. So I encourage you to go check out inboxdone.com. I really recommend their services. Hello, this is Yaro Stark and welcome to another exclusive interview with someone who has uh, been in my history in the past uh, as a a previous student and we've had lots of conversations on on coaching calls in the past. But more recently, my guest today uh, popped up, uh, I think it was a comment made to a Facebook post uh, basically saying how amazingly well her business has been doing and uh, how I guess her life has changed. So I had to grab her to have a conversation, talk about what she's doing with her business and of course her entire entrepreneur's journey background story. So I'd like to introduce you today to my guest, Jaina Dahl, (laughs) I've been practicing your name. Welcome.
0: Thank you, Yaro. I'm delighted to be here.
1: So, Jaina is the founder of drama notebook.com or drama-notebook.com, depending on your accent, which is as I as I read the the claim to flame here, the world's largest collection of drama games, lesson plans, scripts, and drama activities for kids and teens. So, I think this is a, a fantastic topic. And I love that you built a business around this. And um, I was just checking with Jaina before the call, uh, how well it's doing. And and she was quite happy to let everyone know that in the last full year of your business, you did a quarter of a million dollars in revenue. So that's a fantastic result from this business. And I'd love to talk about how you make that money and how you build the business up. But as always, I really love to dig into the background first of how you got into this. And I have to ask the question that I I did. um, I already know the answer to it but i have to ask it anyway i was reading in another interview with you that your one of your favorite quotes is from ronald Dahl. And Dahl, right I, thank you Ro, i just can't do first names today roll Dahl and your name jaina not jenny Dahl. doll you have the same last name and i was thinking wow is that a coincidence that apparently it's got no relation whatsoever is that right
0: right no sadly no relation I should just lie and say there is but
1: (laughs) in your line of work as well you know teaching kids drama I know his books are a big part of my life as a kid so uh, I'm sure there's some plays out there we can all perform um, from his work but um, speaking of childhood. Now, you know, you, you uh, being in the world of acting and, and teaching kids, I'm assuming that might have parallel with your own uh, experience as a kid. Were you into acting when you were younger?
0: Well, sort of. Um, I grew up sort of a ragtag existence. My mom moved, um, moved houses almost every year. She was an early house flipper. So she was like this hippie lady who would drag her three kids into one house and renovate it and sell it the next year for more. And that's how we paid our bills. So I was constantly meeting new people and being thrown into new situations and I found that being entertaining was a great way to sort of insert myself into my new culture every time we moved and I'm also kind of a natural born leader so when I was a little kid I would round up all the neighborhood kids and get them to play my imaginary games, and I would make up games like birds or orphanage, and it was really long-form improv. And I tell you, if I would have took an adult aside when I was that young and said, when I grow up, I'm going to make a lot of money teaching people my imaginary games, <laughs> they would have <laughs> laughed me out of the house. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. So, uh, I, I'm guessing you are an extrovert, ju- judging by by that story.
0: Extrovert by necessity, introvert by nature.
1: Oh, okay, mm-hmm. that's interesting. So you, you were you were basically pushing yourself, but maybe you weren't shy. You were not shy, but you're an introvert who was not shy. So that's that's a little different. So, um, we'll take us forward. We don't have to go from you know being a, yeah. <laughs> a child, but you know certainly as an adult, um, I, I know you're you're uh, now in Portland, but given you moved around, were you sort of, you know, like, did you have a chance to go through normal schooling, go to university, all that?
0: Yeah, I went through all, um, you know, all the way through college. I picked up theater when I was in high school and then fell in love with it and went to school, college for theater. I got my degree and I did 12 years of semi-professional and professional theater. And then I just realized this is very grueling and you never are able to fully support yourself. So then I got married and got a had a husband for about 11 years and he had a corporate job and I ran a series of small businesses on the side while I raised my son. And it wasn't until my son hit first grade that I realized he didn't have a good drama program in his school. So I thought, okay, I'm going to create this. And I modeled it after a company called Mad Science that goes in and does these fee for service, high quality fee for service after school enrichment programs. So knowing nothing about teaching drama, I very boldly called all 450 schools in my area and just invented this program. And I was so afraid I would get found out that, oh, she has no teaching credentials, and she's not really qualified. But that first year I ran, first season I ran in six schools, and then um, on the seventh year I was running in a 100 schools. So it was called Young Players, and it was this huge after-school drama enrichment program, and I, I hired 30 different teaching artists to go out and serve, you know, the various school communities in my area. It was grueling hard work, again, because it was mostly administrative, but because I was so, I wanted to keep the quality of my program high, and I was so nervous about not being a good enough, having a strong enough teaching background, I started writing lesson plans, and researching and reading all these books, and then putting them all together in my own formula. So every teaching artist who came to work for me, I would hand them this book of materials, and I'd say, "Yeah, you pro- I know you have all your own stuff, but here's a book of interesting things that I've put together, and every time they would go, wow, no one's ever done this for me before. That's amazing. And it grew so big, this collection, I thought, oh, they love it. So I went back to my computer and I wrote a whole bunch more. Here, here's some more. And it got so big that I had to put it in an FTP site, you know, like the early version of the cloud. So it was like they just went in and accessed my computer.
1: What year was that when you were doing FTP?
0: (laughs) Uh, That would have been maybe 2004.
1: Okay. So you, you, yeah, you're basically uploading a file to a, a web server and then giving people a, a basic text link to download it.
0: Correct, and it was all my teaching artists could basically go into my computer, take a peek, and grab what they need and print it off and go. Before, and
1: before you keep going, Janie, with this story, because mm-hmm. I can tell you're going to dive straight into drama notebook here, and I feel like we've wished past 20 years of your life without really
0: <laughs> talking okay. about that. So <laughs> fair um, enough.
1: I am curious, uh, there's 12 years of being a working actor uh, or, or theater performer. Uh, can you just explain? You said it's difficult to make that ba- uh, financially, you know, stable. H- how do you make a living if you're not, I'm assuming, you know, a super movie star or on Broadway? What's the, what, how do you do it?
0: Well, I had, you know, a a combination, a string of different day jobs, waitressing, and and I did, I wore all hats in the theater. I stage managed, did costumes and props and acted, and I, I just kind of was a floater, lighting sound sometimes. I mean, when you're in theater, a lot of times you just need to do it all. And then I had day jobs that backed that up because you basically got kind of a stipend for hundreds of hours of work. So it wasn't really financially feasible.
1: To, when you say <laughs> stipend, you $500, $1,000, what? It
0: could be work? anywhere from $200 to $1,200 a show back then. I mean, it was like nothing.
1: Wow. Well, that's for the whole show. So you don't get that like a month or...
0: No, and those are you no know, hourly. And I wasn't equity and I debated whether to be equity. That's like the actors union because mm-hmm. we only had one equity house in Portland and you can't act outside of an equity house. So I loved, I loved, loved, loved theater, but I was also, it was, the, the crossing point came the tipping point for me came when i worked for the one guy in town who i most respected and uh, admired and i saw the way he lived after 25 years doing theater in portland he still couldn't afford car insurance you know any he had lived in a dumpy little apartment and i just thought this is just not how i see myself in 25 years
1: wow so, going into the, the start of that career, you know, as a, a young adult, is, is the dream, like, were you thinking, I'm going to be a movie star? Is that the plan? No, or what no.
0: My, fo- my real focus was directing and writing. So, I was writing plays and writing screenplays and working in the theater. So, so my- you
1: hoped that that would become sort of the career, like you'd be a professional screenwriter for a TV show or movies or something like that, maybe?
0: Playwright, playwright director or screenwriter, screenwriter of film that would inspire people to make changes. Because what I most loved about the theater was the ability to connect deeply on a human level and experience, go through a transformative experience, you know, the, the everyman experience, and come out changed as a human being.
1: Mm. So you want to share those kind of stories through the, the mostly the theatrical or, or more the screen? Either one. I know anything and, and everything.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and what I've come to learn really is it's is that I'm a writer. That I'm not. I have never wanted to be famous. Never wanted stardom or like, win an Oscar or make millions of dollars. I, my spiritual philosophy is that the more love you put out into the world, uh, the more good effect you have on other people in the world. That's the real wealth. So I grew up in a house of meditation and like contemplation and a lot of time with nature and really thinking about who I am in, in the grand scheme of the universe. And what is it that I have to offer? I mean, life really is about just giving of oneself.
1: Mm, I can see that, yeah, would have been a huge influence on, on how you pursued a career. You probably were at a point in time saying, I value what I get out of this in terms of meaning and purpose more than money. I'd like to make money make to live off of this but um you know and I can see why that would last 12 years too you know it'd be like I, I can make this work because I love this work um so can you take us forward then uh, you know you, you met your husband um did you give up acting at that point to become a mom or did it sort of stay you know mixed yeah
0: I did leave the theater and um I pursued uh you know I kind of had I was 29 and I thought okay I'm, Dating all these actors and musicians <laughs> isn't really working out. <laughs> so, <laughs> maybe I'm supposed to go with like a stable guy. <laughs> so, so I married a corporate guy, shocked the heck out of my family, and had a baby, and and. I just felt like I was an imposter yarrow. I mean, I couldn't do the corporate parties with the ladies with their coach bags and their, you know, Jimmy's whatever shoes. I can't, I didn't even know the brands. I couldn't have cared less. (laughs) Yep. So... So after 11 years, I finally admitted to myself this was a mistake, and he knew we were just on two different planets. And so we very peacefully parted ways and co-parented our son from that point forward.
1: Okay. So, so that then, and, and during that time, you were mostly a mom, I'm, I'm guessing, and, and attending parties well, you don't want to go
0: I'm, to. I'm like a born entrepreneur. Like I bought okay. my first business when I was 22. I bought the singing telegram company I was working for, and I was delivering singing telegrams, and I was the owner of the company. Oh, wow. <laughs> Those I will never buy a franchise again, and I will never buy a fad... Some kind of fad business that's on its way out. Right. You know, you don't see singing telegrams anymore. And no. I thought it was. I thought I can save this business, but they were. It was on its way out. Twenty-two. What can I say?
1: Just before we move forward, I've got to ask a couple of questions about singing telegrams. So, what's the <laughs> what, what is the business model with that? People basically pay a fee to have you go to a house and sing a, a message.
0: Yeah. What you do is you pay nine hundred dollars a month in the eighties to the yellow pages, mm-hmm. so that when people look you up. They can call you, you know, they call and they have a person dressed as a character come out and do this little acting, singing, dance routine and embarrass the heck out of them and then get $45 and leave.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay, and, mm-hmm. and and that obviously you know was a fad, like you said. So, did you happen to learn any important you know entrepreneurial lessons from that experience? That
0: never you... buy a pet rock when everybody else already has one. Okay. Yes.
1: Okay. Good lesson.
0: <laughs> Don't buy a franchise. I paid thirty thousand dollars for that, and it was my life savings that I had earned from cleaning houses and babysitting and investing in the stock market. Wow. So that was a big eye-opener. I blew my whole thing on this business that didn't work. Wow. But I kept being an entrepreneur.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, how did you feel at the end of it all? Were you kind of crushed, and then how did you you know, take yourself back up?
0: No, because I called, it was a franchise, and I called all the other owners to find out how their businesses was, were doing, because in my magical thinking, I just thought, well, everyone else has this golden key to success that I'm obviously not allowed to have. And all of them were out of business. <laughs> And then I realized, oh, my God, it's not me. It's just the time for this has come and gone. And I felt grateful for the learning lesson. I felt grateful for the fact that it did support me for a few years when I was young and I didn't have to have a J-O-B. And I felt grateful that I could move on and appreciate how doggedly persistent I am in the face of failure.
1: So was there another business after that before we hit what you do now with Drama Notebook?
0: Yes, I had... Um, well, I, I did go into corporate sales or I mean, media sales. I did like the local TV station and newspaper station. I, I worked for a few years selling, you know, media advertising and being an imposter while I was married. And then, um, I ran events for a dating service. So I did like 165 promotional events events and trade shows for a dating service. And then I opened my own trade show consulting business based on that. And I, so for about eight years, I sold exhibit space and sponsorship for trade shows on my own as a freelancer.
1: You've had quite a variety of of different careers or or businesses over the years. I don't see the connection between maybe singing telegrams and and theater. There's an overlap there. Uh Um, But Yeah, you you certainly jumped around a bit. Uh, (laughs) Well, at
0: the heart at the heart of it are sales, like media sales and trade show sales. And now what I'm doing is selling too. And I don't think sales is a bad word when you're bringing something, bringing together persons' need and something that fills that need, and you're just the facilitator. So, and I love being. And I love engaging with people in a, in a way that it has integrity. I guess I would say, right. yeah.
1: Well, we should talk more about that in terms of how you do it today. But let's let's bring up the story. So, going back to the point where you began, uh, what's it called, the the play, when you're actually doing in-person drama teaching, what was that called? Oh,
0: yeah, that was Young Players, players, the drama outreach, right. Okay,
1: so at the start of that business, you you already um, moved on from your husband, you were back to, I guess, looking for your next um you know business idea or or job what like you must have obviously from your background you had a love of theater what was the thing that connected it to the idea of becoming a teacher of theater to children because you know that's not necessarily a, a linear connection it's i can see the overlap but you know like you said you were not a teacher so what what where was the spark of the idea for that
0: why did I think of doing it?
1: Yeah, like you know, you Oh, oh because
0: my son because I know I knew how theater had changed my life. And when my son entered first grade I realized he didn't have access to any kind of drama program whatsoever. And really the only things that existed in the city in Portland were the classes at the children's theater company. So I wanted to br- I wanted to make theater accessible you know, at that point in my life, I was really, um, into children and loving children. And I like to say like, now I'm 52 going on seven, like I will be perpetually seven years old because I have that. I love the sense of wonder and the world's wide open and you can trust and play and see and use your imagination. And these kids weren't having that opportunity. So I wanted to bring it to them in an early, you know, early on so that they could experience feeling confident about sharing their creative selves in front of people.
1: Now you said earlier that you did four hundred and fifty phone calls to what was it, all the schools in the area or
0: yeah see this is where my sales background came in. I made up these marketing packets and sent out these promotional packets for this program that I invented that really didn't (laughs) exist. Now
1: tell tell me about (laughs) that. How do you even come up? How much does it cost? What is it? You know how do you decide all that?
0: That, cost me, that company cost me about $6,000 to start, and that must have been, I don't know, like what, 15 years ago? It was a lot of money. I put it on a credit card because I had right. excellent credit, and I paid it all back, a zero interest credit card, and I paid it all back within the first year. So...
1: What so were you market, selling, though, exactly? Like, what, was, what were you charging so I would, for?
0: I would call the, the school and so I'd send out the packet, and then I'd call the school and say, hey, do you guys, I'm just curious to know whether you guys offer after-school drama. Who's the person who coordinates that? Okay, well, you know, I have this company, Young Players, and we'll send out an instructor and lead a group of kids through a really great drama experience over the course of six weeks, and we keep it really affordable for parents. We handle all the registrations, building use fees, rosters, everything. All you have to do is give us a space. And you know, a certain percentage of the schools took us up on that.
1: So how do you make like what I love about this is straight away, you're, you're hiring other people to deliver the actual service, right? So right. that's already a different way of thinking, because I thought with your background, you possibly would have thought, no, I'll, I'll do all the teaching and I'll just, you know, charge and keep all the money myself. But what was the, you know, wh- where did the, even the whole business model come from?
0: Well, I borrowed it from Mad Science that was a franchise, and I figured out as much as I possibly could about their after-school model, and I quickly realized there was no way I was going to make livable money, sustainable money, just doing it myself. I had to multiply myself and run in multiple schools all all the time. So I hired teaching artists from the very beginning. Plus, all the after-school classes take place at the same time, so you can't have one person going from school to school, because they happen simultaneously, pretty much.
1: Right. I understand. So how did you decide how much to charge, and how did you decide how to hire and pay people to do the work.
0: I stole Mad Science's model.
1: <laughs> so you, you franchised again, but this time without paying the franchise Exactly,
0: fee. <laughs> my friend.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I also paid my people nearly double what they were paying because I wanted – I first of all was optimistic about how much money would come in and secondly I really wanted a high quality experience because that was the only representation of my company that anybody was ever going to see was how good that instructor was.
1: So with that business how what were the hard parts I, I always assume Finding good instructors and just convincing the schools. No, to,
0: that was the no. easy part because okay. like, they were theater people mm. who needed money. Remember when I was a theater person, they needed good money for a part-time job. They needed a high hourly flexibility um, that work that they could work into all the other jobs that they were doing, and this was something that was in their creative, mm. you know, in their talent set. So I got amazing people every time I would run an ad. I had too many amazing people. And theater people are notoriously conscientious. They're on time every single time. They leave the they take impeccable care of those kids and they leave that space that they're working in exactly or the way they found it or better. So I had a very good reputation in this town for delivering a high-quality class experience and having, you know, very responsible instructors entering the schools.
1: So what was the hard part about the business?
0: Everything else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I hate administrative and detail work. And just think about what it would take to launch, like I ran in hundreds of different schools every year, but it was three different seasons. So, one se- my winter season was the heaviest, so I would have 65 classes running simultaneously. That means I had to schedule teachers to be in 65 schools, I had to do the rosters, process all the money, get all the notification out to the right people, do the flyers, make you know, deliver the flyers, deliver the flyers a second time, just everything. And there was so much detail work that this was a job I would would never ever have interviewed for her. and um, I was stuck doing it
1: <laughs> but with 65 classes I'm assuming you need 65 teachers all at once too so that must have been a fairly large company at the peak of-
0: at the peak yeah but the really crappy part was I was still making less than a teacher's salary because even though I was running in a ton of schools I had to fill my classes to more than 12 to make any money at all and a And at that point, about a third of my classes were running at break even. Mm -hmm. So it was a service business where I had there and there were so many factors beyond my control that would result in the class not filling up. So it wasn't like, you know, like I won't get into all that. It's boring. But in the end, what I was realizing is I am now running in the maximum number of schools that I'm running in and that I can run in in Portland because there were legitimate reasons why I couldn't go into three-fourths of the schools in the area, too low income, too far away, you know, things like that.
1: So did you at some point go, this is not gonna work, I'm gonna be stuck with a low salary and working really hard, I need to sell this business or close it down, or how did the, the transition happen?
0: I was willing to keep doing it as long as it was paying my bills, but November of 2008 changed everything. My enrollment, so I was gearing up for the biggest winter session that I'd ever had. I'd also developed this other side project that was working with adults, teaching, doing corporate training and everything ground to a halt. My class enrollment was down by half. All of my corporate training gigs canceled. And so I am lying in bed in like December of 2008 Panicked, Three o'clock in the morning, panicked, thinking, oh, my God, I've got this huge mortgage. I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. I'm going to have to dip into my emergency fund, and I don't want to do that. What am I going to do? What What else can I come up with? And
1: This was the I, GFC, right? That's what caused all this, the global financial the
0: crisis? Stock, yes, the stock market crash. Right,
1: just, people didn't have the money or didn't want to spend it.
0: Everybody was just holding on tight and holding their breath, and how it affected me was – then i I was too and i thought so i ruled out you know what's funny i never considered going and getting a (laughs) job i was trying to figure out how i'm going to pay my bills and it never occurred to me to get a job (laughs) (laughs) so the universe delivered this little idea cloud in my mind and said your curriculum all this time, you've been writing all this curriculum for your teachers. They love it. I wonder if other teachers would love it too. And I literally got up at three o'clock in the morning, went down to my computer and searched all over the internet and to see if it already existed. And it didn't. And I stayed up from three o'clock in the morning, pretty much for 18 months to launch drama notebook. And I, so I had to reformat all my material. I had to learn all about internet marketing, which I knew nothing about. Let's, so that- let's, let's
1: start there. I'd love to. So you're. it's 2008 GFCs happened. Your physical real world business is sort of not working. And you've had a, a, a spark for a, a way to. Take some of the assets you have in one business—all these great uh, courses, curriculum, handouts, basically PDFs with with lessons. I'm assuming, right? Mm-hmm. You, you want to just figure out a way to make money from them. Now, I'm curious, your initial thought: how you're going to make money? Do you think I'm just going to sell them, like a, you know, ten dollars each, five dollars each? What do you? What, what was your first thought?
0: Okay, my first thought, and this is this is an interesting thing for your listeners to consider. My first thought. Was not about how I was going to sell them and make money. My first thought was, "What's the most artful way for me to present this to teachers so that it's the most usable?" You know, like I didn't. Uh, um, the way my teachers use things was that they picked and they pick and choose what they need for that particular thing. You don't just tell somebody, "Here's how you teach drama. Go out and do it." It's not a step-by-step how-to. So. It needed to be, I, fi- I arrived at membership site with a huge cr- searchable curriculum library, lesson library, because that's the way teachers are going to need it. They're going to go on looking for, I need to do pa- some stuff on pantomime today. So if I'm selling a drip course or any kind of thing that's sequential, drama teachers don't need that.
1: They want like an all-you-can-eat buffet, a database of, of classes.
0: Yeah, but it's not all-you-can-eat unless you buy the yearly. <laughs> <laughs> let's,
1: let's not talk about your current system, but let me I want to go back to the start. So you, you have this idea, okay, it's going to be a, a membership subscription. I'm going to give them all these lessons, and that's the starting point. Is that right?
0: Correct. And it was the first version of the site was a simple – well, the one of those long scrolling sales pages
1: – why did but you was, decide to do that?
0: Because that's the way everybody did it, honey, don't you remember? I
1: do, but I'm curious <laughs> why you decided, you know. Like did you go online and, and just look up other people's products for sale or
0: Yes, and I took some lessons from yours truly.
1: <laughs> okay, so I came into the picture now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Then enter Yaro. Yo. Now I have such a distaste for the people in your space who do what they do a certain way. They remind me of like sale, like used car salesmen. I mean, I love salespeople. People. But like slimy salespeople, no. And the you know the shouting at me, the infomercial voice, and the all this stuff about like you can make money on the internet by affiliate marketing and or or link building or you know those link farm sites that Google used that used to exist that don't anymore. It, it was just like this whole the whole get rich quick thing annoyed mm-hmm. the hell out of me. And I really loved what you were putting for forth because you kept saying serve your audience serve your audience don't do this unless you're a person of integrity who has something legitimate to help people mm. and I went okay that's me
1: so it sounds to me that you definitely did a bit of research you went online and maybe dived into the internet marketing space a little bit to, to maybe teach yourself the basics is that before you found me is that what you did
0: yeah yes
1: and and obviously, when that happens, you get presented with a whole bunch of Get Rich Quick stuff because they are plastered on all the banners, all the text ads, on you know all these blogs and websites. So you can't not really miss them, especially in 2008, 2009. That was probably the, the epicenter of it all. So... Um, I like already what you said before about your own decision. You know, you wanted to provide value to, well, it's actually been consistent. In the the young players, you wanted to pay your teachers more to offer them a better, you know, pay to do better quality work so you have a better quality business. This is also happening now with your desire to create a database so that they're going to have a lot of content and you're going to focus first on the value you can give to them. So when you... Then so did you? um, I'm trying to remember. Like, did you just read my free stuff first, and then decide to join my training program, or, or?
0: Yes, you know. Yes, you you hooked me in, and I the free stuff was really valuable. And then I figured, I thought since the free stuff is really good, I wonder what's in the paid stuff. And the paid stuff was amazing, and it really grounded me and made me feel like, okay, I can figure this out, and I can be successful.
1: So what, at what point were you at then? Did you have a website or anything yet?
0: This was while I was developing it because it took me 18 months. So a part of that 18 months was researching, you know, the wh- what kind of webs, how I was going to build my website, what my payment platform was going to be, what the membership software was going to be, and my email newsletter and putting all those pieces together and how would it work and how would the site look. And so the first version of the site was a big, long sales page with, and then, you know, the link to join the subscription side, And once you're... In the subscription side, well, you could see the lists at the at the at that point. I only had lists of things. I didn't have all those book titles on the site. It was just a list of activities. But and then I charged forty nine ninety five, and for a whole year, I didn't have any tiered system or any upsell or anything like that. And I think
1: the, did you give from, away free stuff at that point?
0: God, I don't even remember. But I don't even think I had the email
1: capture then. Oh wow! So it I mean, I was that product for sale here it is.
0: Yeah. Give me $49.95 and I'll and you can get into this library and I will keep adding to it every month.
1: Okay. So, um, I, before we answer the question of how that went, I am curious. You, you don't sound like you came into this with a strong technical background yourself. So how did you build that website? How did you write all the copy for a long sales page because that's not a small job. And how did you set up a payment system?
0: Well, I had a friend, my best friend at the time, knew, knew a little bit more than I did, and she, she built it.
1: <laughs> okay, so she created like a WordPress installation yes. for you, right?
0: Yes, she did, yes, it was really simple, very simplistic. But then I handled like the payment part. I just learned, I had to learn about, I think I use um, A-member, and I still have an A-member, because I've customized it to the ninth degree, and it's awesome.
1: Okay, so a member and with payments, were you PayPal back then, or
0: I was pay, Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was just PayPal in the beginning, I think. Yeah, because I didn't want to invest in like doing all the time and energy into a merchant account before I knew it was actually going to work.
1: Okay. So it sounds like your first version of this business was a WordPress blog in order to create the sales page, uh, a member to run the subscription, the membership site, and deliver the content, and then linking that into PayPal to take the money. The only thing you haven't told me about is the sales page. Did you actually sit down there and, and write it yourself? And, and Uh-huh. Was that easy for you?
0: Yeah, because I have a writing background and a sales background. Perfect. And I took a bunch of tips from your blog mastermind.
1: Right. You probably could have even just maybe even copied my sales page on some level. <laughs> that was probably. A starting point. <laughs> um, now, I remember, because I still do it today, I, I tell everyone you know, you don't just go out there selling a product, you need to learn about your market, you need to then create an email list release some free value upfront content you know go through the whole experience like you had with me which led to you trusting my work and deciding to buy my product it sounds like you didn't do that with your first version of your product though you just went here's my stuff buy it is is that like what was your thinking there
0: well you're right and this is why i'm an interesting case study for you i did not follow the typical that typical model of building the audience and collecting the emails and having the launch date and, you know, pushing out the spectacular product and have it for a limited time on people.
1: Or at least building an audience first, right? Because you no. need to an email list to find customers. And
0: No, what I focused on, and to this day, this is what I focus on, is SEO.
1: Okay. Well, that's also a big part of blogging. So we certainly do that. But it, yeah, it sounds like you took only the blogging part, not so much the email marketing uh, product launch part. Right. Which is good because the SEO part's the long-term lasting part and that's why you're, you're still doing well today. So can you tell me then, given that was your process, you still need to create free content to make that part work? So what, you know, how did this evolve from just a sales page to a, a real content business?
0: Uh, well, probably shortly thereafter, I had an email me for this free thing embedded on the site and I started collecting the free emails and then doing the dripping auto responders, but I wasn't even very good at it.
1: Had you made a sale yet? At this
0: oh, yeah. So September of 2001, I launched the site and between September and December, I made like $6,000.
1: Sorry, did you say so, 2010 you mean? No,
0: in two, it was 2010. Sorry, oh, yeah. yeah, 2010.
1: 2010. Okay, so how did I'm still lost? How did you make that much money without having any audience yet? Where did you get customers? Magic. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Share the magic, please.
0: <laughs> it's because the site got Google. Um, oh, I remember what it was. Another, I got a link put on one of the sites that was up really high in my best keyword on Google. See, so if you Google drama game at that point, if you had Googled drama games, the site popped up with a list of websites that offered drama games and I got my link on that site. Okay. So, like, 90% of my sales were from people typing in drama games and going to this very helpful, non-salesy page that links you out to different places that have drama games. Get it?
1: Right. And you were just charging for them. You weren't giving drama games for free yet at that
0: point. No.
1: No. So, you literally had a person search. They'd find this other person's well-ranking site. They had a link of all these other sites that offer drama games. And then they visited yours and said yes to a $50. Is it $50 a year back then? Fifty dollars. Yes, a month, fifty dollars a, a year. Okay, so uh-huh. very low priced uh, uh-huh. offer, and you made six thousand dollars within how long?
0: That was September to December.
1: So within like three months, you <laughs> you must have thought this is easy on some level if, if that's what you you know the result you got.
0: Well, I was shocked. <laughs> I was actually shocked. I was like, oh my god, this is gonna work. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so, an eight, about eighteen months later, the site still had wasn't making enough money for me to quit the brick and mortar service business so keep in mind that I'm running the drama notebook site and my outreach business for a period of about three years the
1: young the young players right right
0: and I got to the point where I couldn't do both and I went and I sat down with a business consultant and I showed him okay here's business a it's a brick and mortar. This is how much I make a year. I'll just tell you it was $36,000 a year I was making doing that drudgery. And then on here on the other side is this website, but this website's only bringing in, I think at the time, it was around 1200 a month, right? And so... He, he flipped through my brick and mortar and he goes, okay, I don't see how you can make any money or cut, save costs on this business. Let me see the other one. He opens it up and he says, okay, this one website, da, da, da. He goes, okay, close or sell your brick and mortar and focus only online. Mm-hmm. And I was so scared, but I went home from that business meeting. I was scared, Yarrow, because there was no guarantee and I'm going to let go of like my actual predictable money that I have to work very, very hard for. But in the the website part, I enjoyed much more. So I went home and I picked up the phone and I called the local children's theater. And she had talked about buying my company before. And I called her and she said, yep, you wanna sell it? She goes, well, let's just agree on a price. And I suddenly was willing to just let it go for a price that I sold it for $65,000. And I wanted 100 for it. She wanted to pay like 25, so we kind of met in the middle and they're very happily still running that company and I had a financial buffer.
1: Right. That sounds, I mean, if you're making $36,000 a year profit, you made almost a little less than double at the sale price. So not a great sale price, but not bad, but more importantly, mentally a buffer. That's probably was the best benefit from it, right?
0: Absolutely, yes. I thought, okay, now I have two years to bring this This uh, this bring this website up to sustainable income. Guess how long it took me.
1: I, I don't. I, all I can think back is some of our coaching calls. I remember speaking to you and you being frustrated about something. I can't remember what it was, <laughs> but uh, I don't know if this was the time. It probably was because it was 2010, 11, 12. So um, I just feel like it was slow going back then, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, no, it,
0: was it was 2014 that we had talked to, about the problems that came about. It took me three months of working on my website. And I can't even remember exactly, oh, I think I just got higher, up. I just worked on getting higher up in the Google rankings.
1: And then what, you know, what was the amount of money you went, you went from 1,200 a month to replacing? To your-
0: over, th- over 3,000, so, and that's what I needed to pay my bills at the time.
1: Okay, so let's, I know it's a while ago now, but can we look at, because it sounds like a, this was where you really built the foundation for what still happens today, which is your your search engine optimization, your, search, your Google rankings. Yes using a lot of traffic, and it sounds like that's what happened back then to go from 1,200 to 3,000. So do you remember, was it just a case of writing more content? Because I, I know it, certainly in Blog Mastermind, we have a whole workshop on just content, uh, but you're already a writer, so you probably you know, would have been naturally inclined to do that. But this is the first time you're building an online business. So do you remember what you did?
0: I can't exactly remember what I did at that Point in time, but I can tell you what I have been doing for the majority of my business to build, are you talking about building SEO?
1: I guess we're talking about how you're getting attention, how you're building an audience and ultimately getting customers.
0: Um, what I think like a drama teacher, if, and drama teachers are often handed an assignment where they, the principal says, okay, the district says we all have to offer drama now and Rebecca, you're the funniest one in our group, so you, you get to be the one to teach drama. And she goes, okay, in the meeting, and then she panics and she goes to the computer and types in drama activities. And she finds my sight and it's like the ray of God is shining down upon her and she's so <laughs> relieved that I've spilled it all out for her. Or it's a person who is been doing, has been doing the job for like 30 years and they cannot face doing the same thing over and over again. So they just go, okay, I'll look up some drama activity thing. Wow, what's this? And they get on my site, and because my team and I invented a whole bunch of stuff that nobody else has, they're thrilled, because, and they keep pumping it out and giving them new stuff so they don't get tired of themselves. So they type it into Google. So I sat down, you know, this is traditional keyword research wisdom. You write down all the different things that a person would type into Google, and then you back-reference it with Google Analytics and see which ones actually have the highest search volume now google's not being very friendly about giving us that information anymore so i suspect you have better tools
1: well yeah not really i mean there's certainly the I'm, I'm not so focused on seo i still like you i heavily rely on it but i think um i guess we fly a little bit more blind now i think the uh, the ad buyers way way have way more data when it comes to this but it's usually more on ads not necessarily on organic search because like you said google switched off displaying what actual keywords get what actual traffic so um, you kind of have to look at your own uh, your own analytics which it sounds like you did and you know you can see uh, I don't know what the phrases are for for yours but it might be like you said uh, how to teach pantomime or something like that as a as a phrase and, and then you just what do you write an article about that or do you what do you do
0: well I've, I have a, a strategy that it's not the most sophisticated and I'm sure I can do better but the, my top keywords are drama games so I've created 40 drama games every every teacher, every drama teacher should, 40 classic drama games, every drama teacher should know. So that's, you know, I give those away for free and you can email, it's got a landing page with this sign up and get that. Then there's another one, how to teach your first drama class. Same thing. You can get this in a printable PDF. Just give me your email. And then there's another one. So I really wanted, so I, so I get a lot of volume off of those landing pages for those keyword terms, and then I put them into the traditional funnel where I, you know, give them the auto responders to try to convince them, convince them, convince them, and then leave them alone for a while and try to convince them again, <laughs> you know? And one of the keywords, and this is a little, so that's my overall business strategy was to create linkable, shareable assets that have staying power that anchor me at the top of Google and provide me a steady stream of new leads, new potential customers.
1: Can you give me an example? Because I know I, I'm looking at your site now and there's a lesson library, um, which is full of, I think they're mostly PDF downloads. Is that right? Or are they actual online?
0: Yeah it's all PDFs except I have 50 drama games on video.
1: So, what is how are you able to rank this content if it's mostly PDF? Are the PDFs themselves ranking or or do you have pages with with, with articles on them?
0: No, Mike. no, the pages that are ranking the highest are if you go to the free stuff and you scroll down to drama games. Right. Okay. So, those are my lead generating pages that have the free content that convince people to get into my funnel.
1: Okay, so drama notebook.com forward slash drama hyphen games or just go to the right. free stuff in the navigation bar if you're looking at yeah. uh, Dana's site and you'll see that. And so this is Basically, the, this is where you were kind of following my model in some way, maybe it, <laughs> yes. it was more subliminal, but not directly. But um, you're saying, here's the most popular. You did actually you did exactly what I'm teaching. You you went through a customer avatar experience uh, yes. in your mind. This is what my target customer will go through, and you need to have something that will directly appeal to that need. You've got now, I'm going to click on warm-ups. You've got bopity bop, bop, bop. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And <laughs> uh-huh.
1: <laughs> you know, when I click on bopity bop, pop pop pop, uh, this is a warm up activity uh, as a just a, a, a page. Uh, blog, it's a blog right. post, essentially, right? It's a short blog post. Right. So I have 40 of those. And these are all ranking for.
0: Mostly the drama games one ranks, but that's all I care about because I want to be number one in the world in drama games. Annoyingly, this other guy is sitting on the top of me right now, so I'm trying to kick him off.
1: (laughs) That was a battle. (laughs) So then you've got got a lot more on this page. So drama games is like the big entry database point. And this is where people, this is like your, I have a blog profits blueprint and I have a free webinar. So that's my big free resources I give away. You have a drama games page that's just got a ton of free games they can start using to start teaching drama. But clear, clearly they're going to go, this is just a starting point. So how do you, What? where does the sales part come into this? Why, how do you get them from well, the free if stuff you're
0: looking at, if, you, if you're looking at any one of those pages, there's this join now and blah, blah. And when you e- get emailed, it's there. My call to action could be improved on my site, Yaro. I'm actually looking at that right now. Well, I I have mean, whole-
1: can we just say, because if I click join now, you take me straight to, it looks like a, 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 an A-member create new account form it's not a sales page so to speak it's really just, just sign up it's I'm not even sure what I mean I've, I'm obviously if I was your target customer I'd get get what I'm buying here but you're not really selling this at all but you're this is what sells this is how you're getting a quarter million a year right They go from free content to this
0: Well if they sign up for my email, they get a few nice emails following up right and explaining what it is. Also by this point, my organic traffic. I wrote this down, so I get about seven, seventy to a hundred thousand visitors a month on my page. Fifty uh, percent is organic Google. Twenty-five percent is direct,
1: which is people coming back, right? Because they're they're probably your or members. being
0: or being told about the site. Right, referrals, and that's huge. So I've always been a proponent of the soft sell, and I don't want teachers to feel like I'm hammering them and selling them. Right. I, I want to present this amazing cornucopia of unbelievably great stuff at a price they can easily afford. Because $9.95 a month at the is ten they get ten downloads, and that they can download anything on that lesson library for a dollar basically. Right. And these are some things I've sweated over Yaro.
1: Yeah, we haven't really talked much about the evolution of your pricing model cuz today you charge 9.95 for 10 downloads per month, 24.95 for 25 downloads used anytime or a yearly subscription for 89.95 with unlimited downloads, pay by credit card, pay by PayPal. Uh was is this changed a lot since that early days we were talking about kind of like 2012 13 14 to what it is now
0: yeah first i added the monthly um because i recognized that i, I wanted to fit into the drama teacher's lifestyles and i so some people were just going to be teaching for a couple of months and they didn't need to buy a yearly and so i made that the, that solution available for them and some people we're just going to teach for the entire summer. So the three month subscription, I wanted it to suit their pocketbook and their needs and, and not have it feel like I'm upselling you. I'm upselling you. I'm upselling you. It's like, you can get what you need because I want you to come back when you need it again.
1: I I really feel like it's the quality of your, your training that it's like, triggering the word of mouth so i haven't actually seen one of the pdfs yet but i'm assuming they're Mm -hmm. quite they're quite impressive
0: well drama teachers routine repeatedly tell me this is amazing i love your site your work is we're having so much fun with this activity i mean i i get that daily from people you have changed my life you're a lifesaver godsend are the words that they use
1: so, so what does the business look like today in terms of your team and how everything is built? Because the website is definitely more polished than, you know, a basic WordPress sales page like it would have been in the past. So uh, right. do you have tech team, customer service team. Are you still creating all the curriculum handouts yourself? What does it look like now?
0: So it's so exciting. But I want to go back just a little bit and tell you, tell sure. you about an experiment that I did. <clears throat> I wanted to get number one in place for kids. That's attributing... I've got 30,000 people hitting my site from that page alone. What I did... Because I thought, okay, how am I going to get that many plays to actually rank on Google? So I had... I, I curated the best of the free plays on the internet and just created a searchable linkable page, right? Like Mm -hmm. nothing, nothing in that free plays section is actually hosted on my site. And even though, and this is a mistake I made that I want to share with your audience because I was blindly going after the keyword without realizing, Oh my God, now I've created this marvelous thing that makes people not need my site. (laughs) I have like 400 free plays that I spent weeks and weeks organizing just so that I could get the traffic, but they're not converting at all. It's been, and I'm, I'm either gonna take it down entirely or convert it to a revenue model. And one of my ideas is to replace everything that's on that free play, every one of those plays with paid like dollar downloads.
1: Yeah, but you make a good point. There's a fine line between how much free content you give and and what you charge for.
0: Right, and I get and I overshot it. So lesson learned. So now, what did you ask me about my current business model?
1: <laughs> what does it look like in terms of <laughs> people? Who's working with you, and how, what do they do?
0: Oh, okay. So I have I don't know if you know Miso. Miso is like some kind of rock star in the A member world, and so I have Canadian Miso who handles my my membership stuff, and then I have. How do
1: you spell C- Miso? Is that M I S O like the soup. Okay.
0: Yeah. No, nobody out there can hire him. He's mine.
1: Okay. Oh, I thought it was a service. <laughs> this is, this is an actual, employee no, a contractor. It's
0: just right. a guy. Yeah. Okay. Fix up. Brilliant genius, a member okay. guy. And then I have a WordPress gal who does a lot of changes to the site. Incidentally, everything you're looking on that, looking at on that site was a hundred percent me. I designed the entire thing, colors, everything. The only thing I didn't do was draw those characters. I have a friend who's an artist who draws those for me. Cool. And then I have the KGB, this other guy who fixes my, uh, some technical issues. He's from Russia. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and,
0: then, and then I have a social media intern at any given point. I throw a hundred dollars to some really wonderful, vibrant, uh, college gal to learn the ropes about social media on my site because social media only counts for less than 5% of my sales. So I don't put much energy into social media.
1: So major Uh growth opportunity there.
0: I would think, but every time I run a social media experiment, the only one that performs for me is Pinterest. Pinterest accounts for 80% of my social media sales, but it's still like 1% of my sales on the website. I really don't think that that's my model. And I mean, you know,
1: I mean, I'm I'm in in a similar boat. Social is a tiny, tiny proportion. It's uh, I think a lot of people depends on what you're selling. You know, you have such a clear person has a need. Google search to solve the need. Your website shows up. That's a beautiful process. And, you know, you want to milk that for as much as you can.
0: Right. And I've also had like just a couple of not districts, but like group licenses, you know, like smaller school districts not states i was going to say so i'm signing up school districts for district-wide lessons and that just but that's like that business model means i'm doing outreach so i have a pretty small team of part-time people who help me maintain the website you know make else, little changes
1: what about the the lessons themselves
0: those have traditionally been done by me i am um right now creating more of a community feel and posting all on all sorts of forums and recruiting other very talented teachers to license work with me or sell me the copyright on things that they've done because a lot of it's out of my wheelhouse and it's working out really well particularly in the scripts today i'm going to put out um five new mixed up fairy tale scripts that are brilliant and the gal who wrote them is thrilled beyond belief that they're going to go I didn't pay her very much to own the copyright, but she's thrilled that teachers all over the world, because I have like 3,000 mem- current members, teachers all over the world are going to be using her stuff.
1: Mm, yeah, that's fantastic. So 3,000 paying customers and, and a lot of them on subscription, all of them on subscription, right? Because all, all your products are subscription based. So
0: yeah, that number is a little misleading because that lumps in people who've purchased my f- workshop lesson plans from the store. So it's probably more like 2,500 current active subscription members
1: yeah Yeah, still a very a great number so your life must have changed a lot since the, the hustling days of you know running well all kinds of different businesses including the, the physical bricks and mortar drama teaching uh, the, the door-to-door singing <laughs> franchise <laughs> <laughs> you know the um, uh, going to uh, court conferences and, and what was it you said you used to do uh, um, selling there and helping people sell there so now you're, you're 100% online I'm assuming your life's a little bit more relaxed now in terms of how you live it.
0: Yes, and. For me, I feel so lucky that, um, like I'm a writer and my favorite Shakespeare quote is that in black ink, my love shall still shine bright. And that's part of Prospero's speech at at the end of the Tempest. And it's Shakespeare's supposed, it's Shakespeare's supposed farewell to his audience. But basically what it says is what I've written, I will be able to leave you and you'll feel my love when I'm gone. And so, for me, creating this site, I'm going to get teary about it even.
1: It's lovely, yeah. Um,
0: I know that it's beyond the, the face value of a lot of what I put out there is fun, it's actually creating the spark of love and. In- children's hearts and teachers hearts. And they're connecting with each other. And they're learning to be able to share their creative gifts with great confidence and joy. And that's something that's going to stay with them for, for a lifetime. So my content isn't just very dry theater stuff. It's and that's why people often say i love your teaching style it's infused with love and with creating community of including everyone and appreciating everyone and making sure that everybody's heard and i and i really have hope for our young younger generation that if they can awaken their imaginations like einstein kept saying over and over imagination is more important than knowledge they can awaken their imaginations they can create a world that is much more harmonious than what we have now Mm
1: -hmm. it sounds like you've managed to marry a skill set in writing that you had back when you first started as a uh, in theater and you wanted to find a way to make it financially viable which you have now found a way to do, but you've also found a deep purpose in all of this as well. So you've mixed your skill with a purpose that gives you meaning and it's financially lucrative. So you've kind of finally <laughs> found the, the, the three combination there uh, and, and made it work.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Makes me wonder what else I have in me. But <laughs> well,
1: I that's my next question. What is what is next now? Are you still loving creating these guides? It sounds like you get a lot of intrinsic value, not just financial return from doing it.
0: Oh, it's so much fun. And this is another thing I would tell your audience. Don't do something unless you find it really fun because you could be stuck doing it for a long time. But yeah, I, I love doing it. I think I will probably write a book next. Mm-hmm. And I have, co- and now I have confidence knowing that I have some books in me that I think will sell. And now that I know how to master algorithms and I can jump over to CreateSpace, write a book and put it out there like a publisher would and probably be successful. That's what kind of confidence running this website has given me. Mm-hmm. And I'm still not It's like the best person in the world at it. You know, your internet marketing audience should jump onto my site and do like the hidden picture thing and find all the things I'm still doing wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And she's still making money doing it
1: <laughs> i think everyone can say that we all have things we're doing i don't like the word wrong but we all we all see opportunities that we could optimize and create new channels of customers but you know as long as the business is working and you're happy with the direction i think that's fantastic um i have to ask one uh, somewhat uh, selfish question. <laughs> Back when you took uh, my training and rolled in my program, I'm kind of curious. Was there anything in particular that altered what you do to the point where it's still, you know, impacting you today with the way you run your business? Because, um, you know, obviously you you, you certainly follow. Most of the model, you're heavily content-driven. Uh, you know, you found the niche market. Uh, okay, maybe you're not hugely email-driven, but it sounds like email is definitely a part of the business today. Do you remember back then, even on our phone calls, <laughs> was there's yeah. something that stands out from, from back then?
0: I have taken it. I mean, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't have this site, pure and simple. I wouldn't have felt the confidence that I could do it. I wouldn't. You have such a gentle way about you of making you, you feel like like I tend toward being having anxiety. But I felt confident and I felt grounded because I felt like I could trust that your wisdom was solid and that you would lead me down the right path. And in particular, it was because I wanted to have a lot of integrity with what I was doing. And you talked about that a lot back then. Like, really having something wonderful for you to really think in terms of serving your audience. And that made me go a little farther in being authentically me and writing things that were kind of sometimes really strange or very very funny or just out there you know or using the word love in in my lesson plans I was really emboldened to really be myself and that made my material stand out
1: such a good point I I have to say it's been a huge part of my own uh, process as a blogger too and thank you for the wonderful things you're saying about me Um, uh, the the idea of being really transparent and open and raw and honest and I I don't want to say it's a marketing technique because it isn't, but it is a wonderful marketing technique because people, you know, start to trust and like you and, and build a, a stronger connection rapport. And, uh, I think in particular in, in your space, even more so it's important because, you know, you're doing dealing with adults who are dealing with children. So you don't want anything there that's, you know, manipulative or, uh, untrustworthy and, and you want to be honest and raw and, and uh, but still instructional. So I love that that was carried through. I guess I did it, I had anxiety too when I was younger. So I think the internet gave me a place to kind of explore that safely. Strangely enough, safely, I don't know why doing something on the entire planet would be considered safely, but it is. Um, <laughs> and then you've done the same thing here, exploring uh, you know, the, the area of drama and teaching children. So that's awesome. Um, what's next? I know you said writing a book. So is it a case of just exploring this niche or you sound so entrepreneurial, Jaina, that there might be a completely new business coming up somewhere within your mind?
0: Well, one of the things that I've thought about, first of all, I've thought about turning everything that's on Drama Notebook into a different site that was inspiring imagination. And it was a site for parents to have download imagination games to help their kids develop their imaginations. That one's too big for me to take on because it's not a keyword searchable thing. But that was in the back of my mind. But really, I think like... What's been put in my heart to do next is to write this book that's been in me for about 10 years. And so I just have to push aside the, you know, working so hard on the website, and at least give myself a couple hours a day to focus on that.
1: I've just been through that. I am at the second last chapter of my book, and it's taken me 10 years to finally sit down and write it, so I can, oh, really? <laughs> I can tell you exactly what's happening. Uh,
0: is it a is it a marketing book or like a fiction?
1: Uh, neither, really. I mean, I guess there's you know a little bit of business in it. I Can't not talk about business, but um, it's a personal development book. It's about it about change. So um, I actually had to stop myself from asking you change-related questions because I'm kind of moving towards that question. Like stick to the focus of the marketing-related questions. But um, yeah. It's been it's been great to dive into not just business and and look at other aspects, including things like yeah, anxiety, panic attacks, and um, how that connects with changing aspects of your life. Because I think you know you're a perfect example. How many times have you significantly changed what you do and how you live because there's something that you're not happy with, right? And that's it's hard. It takes a long time. You 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 know, 12 years you were doing theater 10 years in the marriage it sounds like it you know maybe wasn't the great greatest pairing and then another I don't know how many years you did with the bricks and mortar drama teaching which you know it sounds like everything was slowly moving you towards this but it's like 30 years of your life is, is that right
0: yeah 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 and uh, here I am right back at playing imagination games with people <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But one thing, I can't remember who, what, I read a lot of self-improvement books until I finally decided I was improved, and I don't do that so much anymore. But one of the quotes that I read was something about... um, Instead of thinking about how can I make the most money, how can I influence the most people with my gift? And I think the universe dealt me that blow of having my business collapse in late 2008, early 2009, so that I would be forced to expand my thinking because the result has been, you know, I was affecting a few thousand kids here locally with this great program I was running, but now it's 3,000 teachers with how many, I'm in over 100 countries, who knows knows how many kids Mm. you know like the universe was wanting that particular aspect of me to reach or the kind of not aspect of me but the the creativity that flows through me out onto this planet Mm -hmm. to reach more people and And so every time there's a really i kind of have started to look forward to dark places like when there's a time of like real struggle it's such a gift because it means that you're growing there's something gnawing in the in you that wants to get out or express itself or really make a big shift and you shouldn't be afraid of it. No,
1: it's such a good point. And and how lucky are we that the internet is around that allows us, empowers us to reach so many people. You know, like it's just three thousand people. That's a stadium. You know, you're you're like sitting in a stadium although all these people are around the world watching you and then was it 100,000 visitors a month to your website? Yes. You know, like a million people a year come in touch with your content and
0: like I know
1: that's it's mind-boggling and it's available to anyone who's willing to put in the work. So I I I think it's a great time to be alive especially if you're a content creator.
0: I know, screw the yellow pages.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Give me Google. <laughs>
1: okay Jaina. let's let's wrap things up um i'm guessing the best place to check out your work is drama notebook.com is there anyone else anywhere else you'd like to guide people to
0: That's it, just Drama Notebook.
1: DramaNotebook.com. And any other parting words before we wrap it up?
0: I just wanna thank you for being you and touching my life in such a positive way and for sharing your heart with us and all your ideas and your beautiful self.
1: Oh, thank you. That's one of the nicest endings to your interview. (laughs) I've had, (laughs) Jane, I appreciate that. And and keep up the good work. I I love this nature and and I I plan to and will continue to stick you out there a, another example of someone who's kind of living you know their passion financially lucrative and uh gets to touch a lot of other people and doing it not necessarily teaching how to make money or how to do business you're teaching other teachers how to teach drama which is awesome so you know keep yeah. up the great work
0: all righty we'll have a wonderful afternoon you too ta-ta for now
1: Hey, this is Yarrow again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. Before you go, would you mind taking one minute of your day to leave a review for the EJ podcast? That will help this podcast to reach more entrepreneurs like you and also allow me to continue to conduct these fantastic interviews. To leave your review, all you have to do is open up your iTunes app, find the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast and then click the review button to type in a short review and leave your five-star ranking. I'd really appreciate that. Thanks again for taking the time to do this and I'll talk to you again on the next episode.